Welcome back to another episode of It Is What It Is podcast. I'm excited about this episode. We're going to cover global events, uh, business news. We're also going to cover the Rich Paul rule. And we're going to get into a lot of interesting things, things that are happening uh, in the U.S. and global economy. And some things just to look out uh, for uh, that's kind of taking the landscape of our economic, political um, view and scenery of the U.S. and of the globe. Look forward to connecting with you. Stay tuned. Interesting article written by Megan Graham of CNBC. Uh, Megan writes that Roku uh, is increasing its popularity among streaming services. Uh, Roku has reported second earnings up $2 uh, from the first quarter of 2019. Their active accounts has passed the $30 million threshold for active users. Due to this is revenue growth. Uh, is from advertising-based uh, monetizing policies or monetizing video ad impressions, and this has led to an increase of revenue for them. Shares are also up in comparison over 12%. This is interesting as the unveiling of social platforms, not social platforms, but streaming platforms um, really taking place of traditional viewing methods such as cable, television, uh, streaming methods becoming more of the norm than the uh, outline rule that is not just for college individuals, that this is probably the new means and method of communication amongst masses. As you see this shift really start not just to take place, but to take precedent, there's going to be a level uh, leveling off or a market stabilization of price. For companies like Xfinity, um, AT&T, and others, uh, any traditional provider to compete in this new space, you, you can't just offer a thousand channels. That cannot be the buying methodology or the persuasion method that you try to acquire customers from. You have to have value if everybody's offering the same thing if i can go to netflix if i can go to hulu to disney to roku uh to apple tv to youtube tv uh, the difference is is going to be based off my preferences is going to be based off of the uh, values and access that is given but it's also going to be driven by price you cannot validate hundred dollar cable bills anymore anything over twenty dollars seems excessive especially when there's so much and the reality is everything is streaming all you really need is wi-fi and with this advent and this technological innovative uh, appeal to end users everybody's going to have to set their game up so happy for roku i encourage more streaming platforms to enter the market it creates a better sense of competition it also allows the end users to have more access and more not just control but more options to select providers that they want to uh, support and it also forces your more traditional uh, cable industries like your Comcast of the world to basically uh, step their game up direct TV SBC you can't just be the large institution with high bills you have to compete Great article written by Yin Li uh, covering the China economy. Um, Yin states that China exports have risen 
3.3% in the month of July, but the imports have actually fallen 5.6%. And a lot of this is because of the lowering of the currency and the tariff war between China and the U.S. The U.S. dollar has dominated exports uh, with this rise, uh, but over in comparison from a year ago, the imports have fallen. Overall, there is a trade surplus of $45.6 billion of China's trade surplus. China's uh, trade surplus with the U.S. Uh, in comparison to $27.97 billion in July, lower than the previous month's $29.2 billion. This decline is, is really because of a softer external demand on punitive items and tariffs will continue to dampen the export uh, growth. Meanwhile, falling commodity prices and falling demand have basically dragged down this import uh, growth due to the tariff wars. Beijing has introduced monetary policy and fiscal measures to kind of counteract uh, with the tax cuts to boost their own economic activity and also the lowering of the uh, China currency, the yen, uh, to an important threshold of seven per U.S. dollars. And this has led to, uh, I think, inappropriately labeled currency manipulation, but I think it's also a signal that, hey, we're not to be you know, pushed around. I, I, I get you. Uh, I get that there is a need to regulate and and make sure that U.S. companies are benefiting from uh, foreign imports, uh, foreign exports, that they're benefiting from their global neighbors and partners. Uh, however, when you go to excessive measures to make sure that you take a overwhelmingly staunch line and draw the line in the sand uh, to the point that you can now dampen uh, global growth, uh, global economic growth. Uh, there are, I think, a potential adverse effect for that. So even threatening with the 10% tariffs on $300 billion worth of Chinese goods starting September 1st, what this allows for is the price of these foreign goods to go up 10% because somebody eventually has to pay for it. You are either going to put pressure on the consumer first initially and or the manufacturer both can be at a disadvantage to the consumer the consumer first because they have to pay more or secondly because either the items are uh, withdrawn from uh, being selected being able to be selected and provided and purchased or jobs overseas uh, becomes a, a target now if the the purpose of this is to create an demand for American manufactured goods, then that revival or that economic surge has to happen first within, uh, I think, the corporate culture and innovative culture of America. When you start going down the extreme tariff measure, extreme tariff route, there is uh, a possibility for collapse and, and, and what I would call economic uh, retaliation. Uh, now, uh, China can weaken its U.S. weaken its its own currency as a way to kind of counteract all of this. And this is, I think, ultimately bad for business and just bad for diplomatic relations. There is a common middle ground that is beneficial to both parties and can preserve the integrity of both uh, economic uh, nations. But there first has to be a mutual respect and demand and communication before this tariff uh, juncture continues. Great article by Dave uh, Gules uh, reporting on kind of the 
uh, effects of the economy uh, post or intra actually during its strong economic growth. There have been several banks that have actually increased their minimum wage. The first one on the list is Cincinnati based uh, Fifth Third Bank Corp has actually raised its minimum wage to $18 an hour starting on October uh, the 28th, 2019. Uh, this wage increase will actually affect almost 5,000 employees. Uh, out of this 5,000 employees, it will primarily benefit the retail branch employees and those in uh, support functions. Uh, from this support, um, previously there was an increase in wage around 2018 from 12 to 15, but now there is a $3 increase uh, on the books uh, that actually goes into effect uh, at the end of October from 15 to 18. Um, this is a great sign. Some of the other banks that have actually increased uh, its minimum wage earnings as well as Fargo, Washington Federal, Associated Bank, PNC Financial Services Group, WSFS Financial Corps, and Bank of America. Right now, the Democrats have uh, questioned uh, some of the minimum wage policies of companies like Walmart. There's actually a bill that passed through the House of Representatives in July that would raise the federal hourly minimum wage to $15 an hour. This uh, is stated by the Congressional Budget Office that estimated that a $15 minimum wage would boost the earnings of 17 million workers within the United States. The uh, problem that comes about is that even though it would fall below the wage threshold and will cut the number of people below the poverty threshold, which is a great sign by 2025 to 1.3 million, because of the lack of capital with some of your smaller employers, it would result in an estimated 1.3 million workers actually being laid off. I really believe that, um, yes, the minimum wage needed to go up, has to go up, and 15 should have been assessed and implemented 15 years ago, uh, but it's not the floor that needs to keep rising. It's really the ceiling that needs to be lowered. The cost of living is just has outgrown the, the wage growth, really for all jobs. Uh, if you look at even professional sports athletes and you think of how much money they're making, but if you go back uh, 20, 30 years ago and you just compare the rate of inflation, they're actually making around the same amount with only an increase of about 5%. There has to be a lowering of the cost of living uh, from housing to food uh, to education to transportation. Uh, these things actually have to go down. And instead of always uh, uh, putting, I won't say pressure, but a, a concentrated effort on employers to pay out more, I believe if you lower uh, the levels, not the standard, but lower the actual uh, capital that it takes to live adequately and sufficiently, and you'll have the same, you really do get a, a, a great tie that can really rise all boats. And that kind of has to go hand in hand. I want to cover the Rich Paul rule, the NCAA, NCAA has created and implemented a new rule uh, that is geared toward dissuading players from working with agents who do not have or who don't have a bachelor's degree, among other requirements. Uh, there are a few um, 
interesting insights in this. First of all, this rule was basically geared toward Rich Paul. And the reality, because Rich Paul is building an empire and is increasingly gaining influence within uh, sports media, and somehow because of his ability to sway or uh, inform and influence athletes from taking uh, for taking positions that will better themselves, their life, uh, and their loved ones, instead of going through traditional institutionalized practices like college, this rule was created. This rule is inherently racist. Now, uh, let me, I, I guess on his face value, on a prima facie duty, I guess if you say, I believe that NCAA, or not NCAA, but professional sports uh, uh, agents need a degree. I can understand sports management. I can understand business. I can understand um, marketing. But does a degree really make you more qualified for this job? I think there are certain jobs and that you should have some type of certification. I think if you're a doctor, somebody should be able to vouch for your medical abilities. I think if you're a dentist, somebody should be able to vouch for your uh, abilities in the field of dentistry. I think if you are a psychologist, if you uh, service the human anatomy, if, if you're a professional in the realms of medicine and aviation, um, then there should be training. And I think to an extent, uh, every job should have some source of base training. The problem is, is when you put a hard cap or say, we're going to exclude you because you do not possess this certification. This is where I have a rule with. How does having a bachelor degree make him a better agent? If you understand how deals are done and how connecting with athletes and signing athletes are done, an agent will not go up to a professional athlete and says, look, I have a BA from here, I have an MBA from here. They don't care about that. They want to connect with you as a person. They want to know, do you care about them? Are you going to service them correctly? And are you going to create the most opportunity for them? Those are the three things in which an individual, which an athlete evaluates a potential agent. Saying that you have all these degrees might actually be a deterrent from one signing with you. It seems like to me the bar keeps moving. Uh, this was a rule that was never instituted. It was kind of uh, of a closed off uh, good old boy section of business. And then as the field becomes more diverse, it literally... Uh, now, all of a sudden, a, a microscope comes on it, and all of a sudden, guidelines that did not exist before come up. I guess I would feel more comfortable with this rule if there was a breaking down of trust uh, to uh, client, I would say, uh, uh, agent trust being broken. But we have had several examples of agents taking money uh, from athletes, and no rule has been instituted. This institution or the implementation of this rule is a result of one person. And you can't get mad at Rich Paul. You can't get mad at what him and LeBron are trying to do. The whole focus is to empower employees. And this is really what it gets into. Employees have rights. It is not the job or, or the responsibility or even the focus of the employer uh, to limit those rights in any way, shape, or form. I get it that they are... 
uh, obligated to you as far as performance of certain duties under a certain time frame. If there is a contract that says you have to fulfill these duties or requirements or deliverables, I understand that. But you have to also keep in mind that you are not their sole source of anything and that employers have to act within good faith with their employees and allow their employees to have these platforms to empower themselves and to better themselves. You cannot have dated capitalistic rules uh, that are stemming from literally the 15th, 16th century influencing 21st century economy. It is inherently problematic. It is dogmatic. Uh, It is systemic in so many different ways. And what you will have is only those who are allowed to participate will succeed. Uh, the, The... Doing of business has to be accessible for all. Uh, It has to be equitable. It has to be attainable. And from this, competition will arise. So I'm I'm completely disbarred by this uh, rule that the NCAA is in place. One of the things that I think is hurting the NCAA is that uh, they're not evolving. I know the whole controversy of paying student athletes, uh, where you fall on it. But the reality is, if college is not careful, college sports will find itself displaced because there's so many other forming grassroots organizations, uh, forming uh, entities like AAU and junior athletics and junior Olympics to the point that if athletes want to embark on a professional career sooner, they have these options. And as global sports expands, that becomes more and more of a reality uh, than a fantasy and the NCA will either have to step up or step back. Uh, unfortunate news of the uh, mass shootings uh, in Dayton, Ohio, and El Paso, Texas. When I hear of these tragic events, I, I think there has to be more than just uh, prayers and thoughts. I think we uh, have come to a point in the United States that when tragedy befalls us, we politicize it um, and we ceremoniously adjust, but we take zero action until it is politically necessary. And the danger is Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. are losing their lives. Harm is befalling upon innocent individuals. Um, Hatred is rising where it has no place in the world and definitely definitely not within the United States. Um, and when we allow uh, political preference, when we allow talking points to dominate a conversation and not the humanity of these individuals and not the hurt that is being seen and felt and realized, we have failed. I don't know if there's an easy solution. Um, I get there are a lot of different interest groups. I understand it's complicated. I understand the Second Amendment. But I do believe that this is the time for something to happen. Uh, something is better than nothing. I don't care if it's a uh, you know six-month ban on all firearms purchased. Something that would make at least temporary sense. Um, we have families that will not have future memories with these individuals that lives were taken because of hate. 
And if you can't understand the necessity that we have to address it now, we cannot wait for tomorrow, uh, then you have allowed uh, preference and ideology to dominate and to take precedence over humanity. And at the end of the day, we're all humans. And at the end of the day, we're all the same. And our humanity is what links us. Um, It is the greatest of faith uh, because we see ourselves, not in ourselves, but through others. Others are a reflection of who we are. And we must always steer toward that and love each other and just do better. All right, that's all the time we have. You can connect with me on Twitter at Cody's underscore life one IG at CVMK33. Please click like, subscribe uh, to this podcast on Anchor. Also, we are on Patreon. Uh, you can look at me, uh, look for us at It Is What It Is uh, podcast. Also, website coming soon. So many things are in the work. I'm super excited. Please check out the interviews we're putting on YouTube at Robin Taylor or Robin Media Group and just see kind of what we're doing. Uh, content. Uh, is king and it's coming out it's great we got a lot of great stuff in the pipeline and i look forward to connecting with you like i said you feel free to engage me feel free to hit me up on social media love just connect with you thanks till next time